0: To take your Bibles and turn over to the book of Genesis. Are we on page 2 yet? I don't think we can say page 1 anymore, but I think All we're right. on page 2. All right, so Genesis chapter 2. Uh, we are continuing on with the first book of the Bible, the very beginning, and it is page 2. All right, page, page two. 2. All right, so when you turn over there, uh, let's stand up for the reading of God's Word. We're going to start in verse 4 and go all the way down to verse 17. Okay, so Genesis 2, start there in verse 4. Pete, I don't think you're on. I'm not on. Am I not on? You oh. ain't on. No. says I'm on. Oh, okay. We'll just see if it records. No, I grabbed your mic. Oh, I think it's on. I said earlier. Yeah. All right. Start there in verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But the streams came up from earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river, water in the garden, flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Fishon. It winds throughout the entire land of uh, Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and oxen are also there. The name of the second river is Gion. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. Amen. All right, so I want to begin with a little bit of an illustration. Every springtime, uh, when it comes kind of close to starting to finally warm up, I anxiously await uh, the ground to thaw for one reason, okay? So I anxiously await for the temperatures to rise, the cold winter winds to die down, Uh, Because I like to plant a vegetable garden, okay? And so when it does, I can begin to break up the ground. It's not frozen anymore. I can begin to break it up. I can turn it over. I can start putting compost in there and, and manure and all kinds of nutrients that the soil needs to produce the best Jersey tomatoes that I can, all right? Local, fresh Jersey tomatoes. You can't beat it. But I enjoy getting my hands dirty, okay? So I enjoy getting in the garden. I enjoy picking up the dirt and feeling it between my hands and feeling it between my toes. I enjoy watching my kids do the same thing, right? I enjoy watching my kids get in the dirt and play there and help me to plant the garden that I love to watch grow. Sure, I could, uh, I could go down to Acme, and I could uh, go get me a, a Jersey tomato, uh, or maybe Jersey Tomato from Acme. Who knows? Um, I, I, I could do that, and it would be almost no effort, right? And it would probably be at least half the cost, and, uh, and I could get it right away. But that's not the point, right? When I get to grow my own tomato, there's a sense of, of, uh, of satisfaction, right? There's a sense of, I, I did this. There's a product at the end of the season. I enjoy vegetable gardening. It's clear to me that when I'm working out in the garden that God made me to work. It's clear to me that God made me to work and to enjoy him in my work. And indeed, whether it's a garden or any other kind of work, it's clear from the very beginning of the Bible that you and I were made to work in one way or another. It may not be in a garden, a physical garden, but it may be in different areas that we're going to see today. This morning that we're going to see that in the beginning, God intimately created man with a job to do and a command to follow. He intimately created man with a job to do and a command to follow. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention first here to that second, more detailed account of the creation of Adam that we just read. And we see that God creates man. Remember, we've been talking about in Genesis 1 how God created the earth in six days. And as he created the earth, he said, for example, let there be light, and there was light. And on the sixth day, we saw there was a creation of man and woman. Pastor Santo preached this last week. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And Pastor Santa reminded us last week that each of us, every single one of us in the world that has ever been God created in his image or in his likeness, that you and I have characteristics that are like God in some ways, that we represent him just like a portrait represents the real person. We represent God because we are made in his image. And we are unique in a way because we are not like the animals in many ways. We still talk about some of the ways that we were right, but there, we, are, we are unique God made us in his image And we are to mirror him. We are the crowning glory of his creation the best part as it were But here in our text the author kind of double clicks on the creation of man and woman Giving us some more detail than Genesis 1 gives us and that's where we find ourselves today And so after having described the scene of the earth here in the sixth day, God goes on in verse 7 to say this. Or sorry, Moses does. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. Now I don't know about you guys, but as I read uh, chapter 1 and 2 in Genesis, a lot of questions come to my mind. One of the questions that come into my mind is, why did God create him in this way? You know, he could have said, let there just be man, and there would have been man, right? That's what he did with the other things. Let there be sky, let there be ocean, and out of nothing, God created everything. And yet, when it came to man, when it came to mankind, he did something special. He showed that mankind was special in a way that's not like the other creation. God took his time and His sustained attention. See, the picture here that Moses is trying to paint is that of an artist who is giving his life into this work, right? Carefully giving himself to his craft and his work, paying attention to even the smallest and most minute detail, putting his very life into that work of art. That's how God created the first man. Now, of course, you and I were created by the normal means of procreation, right? Which we will learn about as Genesis goes on. We weren't created in that same way that Adam was created. But I think that there's a clear connection here for you and for me in the intimate way that God created Adam and Eve. And it's recorded here. See, it fits well with what we learned about the creation of all mankind at the end of Genesis chapter 1. That all mankind is made in the image of God. Uniquely made with inherent dignity and value and worth. We talked about that last week. That everyone, no matter your race, your creed, your color, your age, your sex, no matter who you are, you are made in the dignity of God. And you carry that value, that worth as his representatives. And see this account here, that God took his time to breathe into life, that he made a creation, shows us that unique image of God. It shows us that we are special, made in his image, that we are handcrafted, as it were, by God himself. But you know what? As special as we are to God, and as special as it is for us to be made in his image, there's also something very humbling about the way we were created about our makeup as human beings. See, at the end of the day, we're still made from the dirt, right? At the end of the day, Adam was still made from the dust of the ground. He was made as a created thing. He is not the creator, right? From the early chapters in Genesis, we learn that there's a relationship between us, the created thing, and the creator. We are not the creator, but we are the thing created. Genesis 3, we'll we'll see, reminds us, uh, reminds Adam after the fall, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so even though we've had uh, a dignified beginnings, we also had humble beginnings. May we never forget how special we are to God, but also may we never forget our place, that we are the created, not the creator, okay? That's what this text is showing us. But as we continue here, we find that we were not just created to kind of kick back and enjoy paradise, right? There was paradise, and it was a beautiful thing. But we weren't just created to kick back and enjoy paradise. That's certainly part of it. But we were created with a job to do just like Adam had a job to do. So God put man in the garden to work it and to keep it. See, part of, of growing up is uh, growing up is is part of um, getting a job. Okay, so I talked to to Akeem about this this past week. Uh, part of growing up is getting a job and doing work, right? Doing hard things, and uh, we all have different jobs, whether they be working as a, a librarian or whether it's a security guard, a social worker, or a carpenter, or a full-time mom or whatever it may be. We all have to work, right? And we all have to work hard. That's the way that God created us. Now, each job has good things and bad things, right? Each job has things that are hard and things that we may not like about them. But there are some things that that we like and enjoy. Recently, I was coming into work and saw a friend, and I asked him how he was doing. And he said he said this. He said, I'm living the dream, just not mine. I'm living the dream, just not not mine. Now, uh, for... To, to be fair, I, I know he really does like his job, OK? And, uh, but there was an element of truth in that, right? On this side of the fall, there are some hard things about the work that we do. There are some boring things about the work that we do. There are things that are not as easy as they should be, right, because of the fall. But for Adam, he was truly living the dream. Think about that, right? You know, my friend said, Uh, You know, living the dream, just not mine. But for Adam, he was living the dream in paradise. He was in paradise, working the garden, living the dream. This is before the fall, before sin entered the world. He was living the dream. If we look at verses 8 through 15, it gives us a lot of details about the Garden of Eden and its surroundings. It was truly paradise like no one had ever experienced before and no one has experienced since. Right? Forget uh, places like Bora Bora, you know, with the little huts on the water. That's like my dream vacation to go to uh, Bora Bora, little huts on the water, crystal clear water. Forget that. There's nothing like that. Nothing on this earth can compare to what uh, the paradise was in the garden. We can't even fathom what it was like. We won't know what it's like until we get to heaven, right? And where that paradise is restored. But Adam Adam was in the garden of paradise, and it was a place where man was put to thrive. It was a place where he was at his best. And then when Eve came, when Eve was at her best, it was a place where they could work and enjoy and rest and be with God in uninterrupted fellowship. Before the fall, there wasn't this distance between us and God. There wasn't a sin problem between us and God. There wasn't uh, the the times where we feel distant from the Lord. It was always uninterrupted fellowship with God, communion with him. That's what it was like. And in that perfect garden, man had a job. Man had a job. Verse 15 tells us this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So what was Adam's job description? It was gardening in paradise. Right? Gardening in paradise. Nothing like the gardening that we do here, right? No weeds. No uh, no, no bugs that come in and eat your stuff. No dogs that jump over the fence and mess with your garden and your tomatoes (laughs) like I have. Um, You have perfect gardening in the paradise, right? That's what his job description was. And he always had a good crop, right? Always had a good crop to enjoy. We're told here that even before the fall, there is work to do. Notice that. Work's not a bad thing. Sometimes we think of work as just a necessary evil. But that's not true. God created you and me to work and to work hard. See, there was a sense in which the ground needed man to work it and to keep it in order to produce the fruit that God wanted it to. Right? And so in the beginning, uh, Adam had a job to do in the earth. That was the original intention. Now, what did that gardening look like? We don't really know. We're not given a whole lot of detail, right? It would be nice to see what gardening looks like in paradise, but we don't know what that was like. But listen to one pastor as he comments here. I think it's kind of helpful. He says this. What did he do? Speaking about Adam. He just did what a gardener would do, taking care of a magnificent garden. He would care for it. Whatever we can imagine that being. I'm not sure what it would be. But then again, when we get to heaven, you know what we're going to do forever? We're going to serve the Lord, aren't we? What will that be? What will we do? Well, there won't be anything broken anymore, so there won't be anything to fix. There won't be anything wrong, so there won't be anything to make right. There won't be anybody out of line, so we won't need anybody to talk to. Preachers will be out of business Teachers will be out of business, and so will biblical counselors. But the same as in the garden. I don't know how to define it, and really I don't want to make any attempts to. But I know that work is a wonderful thing because God does it. God created the universe. Amen. So this notion that we're going to be in heaven one day, just kind of sitting in the clouds and playing harps, is not true. We're going to have work to do, right? Somehow, some way, we don't know what it's going to look like. But God created us, you and I, to work. <laughs> and to enjoy and glorify God as we do. That's why after a hard day's work, we feel that sense of satisfaction sometimes. Because deep down, that's how God made you and I. Work is a wonderful thing. And when God created us, we were created to work. Now, it may not be a physical garden that you and I work in, right? We have all different kind of careers and jobs that we do. But we were created to work. And enjoy and glorify God. See, we need to be reminded that we weren't created to just sit on the couch and watch TV and eat potato chips all day. Okay? As fun as that is sometimes, God made us to work, and it's a good desire to do that. But as one pastor I was reading, he gave a helpful clarification. He said that this passage is not just talking about work that we get paid for. Right? Sometimes we think about our work just as a job. Right? Our job is what we do from nine to five or whatever and what we get paid for. But all kinds of work is in view here, right? Whether you're wiping your baby's bottom or you're going and selling stocks on the stock market, it's all work. But you know one thing that we can do with work? We can think too much of work as well. Sometimes we think about it too little, okay? And we can be all guilty of that at one time or another. But other times, we can make too much out of work and make it an idol. We can, we can do this by giving it too much importance. Listen to this quote here. Work is not all there is to life. You will not have a meaningful life without work, but you cannot say that your work is the meaning of your life. See that balance there? Work isn't everything. It's important. God created you and me to work. We feel that sense of satisfaction after a hard day's work, and that's good. But there's times when our culture gets it wrong and puts too much of an emphasis on work. We don't understand that on the seventh day, God rested, right? He modeled something before us. Look briefly back at your Bibles in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I want to show us this uh, real brief. Because it's really important for us to understand the balance between work and rest. Verse 1. We see that after God was done creating all of the world in that magnificent way of creating everything out of nothing, he rested. Now, obviously, it wasn't because God was tired. Does God get tired? No. no, right. Our God, who created all the world, sustains it all the time, does not get tired. So he must have been doing something else for you and I. He must have been modeling something for us, showing us what it means to work but also what it means to rest. And we see that here modeled for us in verses 1 through 3. See, according to God's plan, it's not all work or no play. But the opposite is also true. Nor is it all play and no work. There is to be a balance between work and play or work and rest. There's time for us after a long week of work to stop and enjoy the the simple pleasures of life. To go in the garden, to smell the roses, to have a nice meal with friends and family and enjoy just the simple pleasures of life. Sometimes in America, we don't get that very well. Other cultures, you know, when Santo goes over to Italy, he gets to experience a culture that in some ways uh, does this better than us, right? They, They know how to rest. They know how to celebrate. They know how to enjoy the simple pleasures that God has given them. Sometimes we get that wrong. We think productive, productive, productive. We think keep working, keep working, keep working. But there are times that you and I are called to rest. Work and rest go hand in hand. And we see here in verses 1 through 3 that eventually this would be the beginning of the Lord's Day, which is really a special set-apart day for weekly rest and worship. But that really gets more fully developed later on in places like Exodus and the Ten Commandments. Lord willing, one day we'll get there. But right now, it's important for you and I to see that even though we were created to work, that God also made us to rest and to realize that balance, that rhythm between work and rest. And that's really a balance that only God can help us achieve, right? Some of us are better on the work side. Some of us are better on the rest side, right? That's why we need each other, okay? That's why we need each other. Well, you know, not only did God intimately create man and give him a job to do, but we also see here, lastly, that God gave Adam a command. God gave Adam a command. After God put Adam in the garden, giving him his job description, he concludes with a simple command. Look again at verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now we, you know, anybody who's grown up in church or knows anything about the Bible has heard about this negative command, right? You can eat of anything in the garden, just don't eat of this one tree. But before we get to that negative command, I want to notice something that maybe we could easily skip over. What does God say to Adam? God says you can have every tree, the fruit from every tree in this garden, except one, right? Except for that one. Sometimes, why is this important? Sometimes we think God is a stingy parent. We think God is a stingy parent who's a killjoy, who wants to give us just things that we can't do and and we can't enjoy. Sometimes we think the Bible is all about a list of do's and don'ts particularly of what we're not supposed to eat or drink or enjoy or do. And that's how we tend to view God. But notice what's going on here. He says that you can have every fruit and every tree in this garden except for one. We fail sometimes to see that God has said yes to so many things, even though he said no to this one thing. I remember one time in college, Uh, One of my friends did a talk, and the, the title of the talk was The God of Yes. And he was going after this same idea that so many times we think about God saying no, no, no. But we forget about what he said yes to. We forget about all the good things that he's told us to. And also, even when he says no, he does that for what? Our protection and for our joy and for our good, right? But it's important for us to see that God gave Adam and Eve the whole garden. He said yes to the whole thing, except for that one tree. I wonder if sometimes that's how you and I view God, in the opposite way, right? We see him as the God of no, instead of the God of yes. It's really important for us to see that here before we go on to this negative command. But with that being said, God does say no to this one tree, right? God God does say no to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We don't know a whole lot about this tree again. We don't know if it was particularly big or small. We don't know if the fruit was visibly uh, desirable or the fruit was good. We have no idea about that. We don't know why God said to not eat of this tree. Adam was simply given a command to obey and to follow because God was God. He was the creator and Adam was the created thing. He was to follow God as he gave this command. And why would he want to disobey? He has everything in the garden. He has paradise. Why would Adam want to disobey God? Nonetheless, Adam could obey God and live in paradise, or he could disobey God and suffer the consequences of death. Adam had two options before him to live or to die. So, what does this mean for you and me? What does this mean for you and me today? Well, I think a few things here that I want to point out. As we've said since the beginning, Genesis 1 through 3 are very important to understanding the rest of the Bible. See, the Bible is one big, long story with interconnected themes and and books from all different angles of creation telling one grand story from creation to redemption and restoration. See, what, what's going on here in Genesis 1-3 through 3 is it's setting the stage for the rest of the Bible. Genesis 1-3 through 3 are so foundational for us to understand because these things are going to come up over and over and over again. So in one sense, it sets the stage for us understanding what's about to happen as we go through the book of Genesis and on through the rest of the Bible. See, also we understand that the concepts of work and rest, they're going to be further developed all throughout Scripture. The two trees of the garden, they're going to return again and again. This idea that the creation, that God, or sorry, that, that man was created from the dust of the earth, that's going to come back again. But one of the most important things that's going to be developed in the Genesis and also in the New Testament is Adam's choice of whether to obey God or disobey God. And let's hang out here for a minute. What do I mean by that? Adam's choice is would have great impact on you and me thousands of years later, right? See, sometimes in our individualistic Western society, we tend to think that each person's choices only affect that person. We don't see each other as a collective whole, right? We see each other as kind of a bunch of individuals doing their own thing, and that's the way that we view it. We don't really see a need to to rely on each other or to have these interdependent relationships, that's sometimes the way that we view ourselves in the West. But the Bible paints a very different picture. What the Bible says is that we are one. And what I mean by that, we are connected. We are interdependent on one another. Our choices do affect each other. That God created us as a people. And one person's choices affect another person's choices in different ways. But we are also told that Adam plays a very unique role to the rest of the human race. Sometimes it's called a federal headship. that's a big word, but let's, let's, let's look at this for just one minute. Adam plays a unique role to the rest of the human race in a way that nobody else really plays. Adam here is the leader or head representative of the human race, and as such, his choice of whether to obey God or disobey God has profound implications on the rest of human history. Affects you and I today in ways that we probably don't barely understand. See, as Adam would make this choice, he would represent us. And his choice would have impacts on you and me. Now, I say that without trying to unveil too much, because as Santo gets into Genesis 3, we're going to see how that really affects you and me. But we have to understand our relationship to our first parents, Adam and Eve. Adam was our representative. And as the Bible goes along, we're going to see that there's also a second Adam, right? Jesus Christ, who comes and cleans up the mess that the first Adam did. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, okay? I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But this particular command was given to Adam. It wasn't given to you and me. God didn't tell you and me to not eat of this tree. He gave Adam that command as the head or the representative of the human race. It wasn't like honor your father and mother, which we all have to obey, and we all have to follow. This was a unique command given to Adam and Eve in the garden. He was acting on our behalf as our representative. And his choice would have profound implications. So, for now, here in Genesis 2, paradise is still intact. Okay? That's important for us to remember. We are looking at what it was like before sin entered the world. God intimately created man, and and that means that you and I were created in his image. We are given that unique value and dignity and worth that none of the other created things has. But God also gave you and me a job. He gave us a job to work. Maybe not to work a physical garden, but he gave us jobs to work. And when we glorify God and work hard and we do it with all of our might and our strength, we honor him. But we also do what we were created to do. And as we work, we are also given rest given rest from the Lord who himself rested and modeled for us these rhythms of work and rest. And we will continue to look at how these things were affected by the choice of Adam and Eve as we continue on. But for now, paradise is still intact. See, it's important for us to understand and to study the, the first few chapters of Genesis for many reasons, but it's, it's important for us to remember where we came from. But it's also important for us to remember that where, if in Christ, where we will be one day again. We will be one day again in paradise. If we have repented of our sins, and if we have put our faith in the Lord Jesus, we have an eternal destination. In one way, we will be back in the garden, in the new heavens and the new earth. And we'll be working for all eternity, glorifying and enjoying God just like we were created in the beginning. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. We have a much, much to go in the book of Genesis. But this is so important as it tees things up for the rest of the Bible that we have to pay attention to what's going on in Genesis 2. Okay? So let's pray as we close. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. God, sometimes it's good for us that uh, your word um, stretches us. Your word uh, pushes us to grow and to develop in ways that maybe we haven't uh, developed yet or we haven't grown. We thank you, Lord, for reminding us that, that every single person in this room, no matter what's going on in their life, no matter what they've done, they were created in your image, that you love them, that you care for them, God, we thank you for reminding us that we were created to work. We were created to get our hands dirty, as it were. Not just to sit on the couch and and hang out and watch TV all day, but created to work. Mm -hmm. And we thank you also for giving us rest. Mm -hmm. Lord, we thank you for the rest that we get each week that we can sit back and enjoy the things that you have given us. God, you are such a good God, and you are so patient with us, as we will see as we go throughout the book of Genesis. We pray that as we go into the rest of our week, God, that you would help us to glorify and enjoy you through our work and through our rest. And that you would continue to keep us on this pilgrim journey all the way home. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.